You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. John chapter 1 verse 4, it says this, Life itself was in Him, in Jesus, and this life gives light to everyone. Wherever Jesus went, He brought life. You study His life, wherever He went, He brought life. The big idea for this message is really simple. Wherever we go, bring life. That's the DNA of our God. That was the way Jesus lived. Wherever He went, He was bringing life. And that's the way it should be with us. Wherever we go, we bring life. If you take all the great leadership techniques, all the teaching on how to be a great leader, if you want to distill it down to the simple common denominator, it's this. Wherever you go, bring life. Just pack life with you. If you're in a gang or if you're in the mafia, you pack heat. <laughs> That's a gun for those who don't know. That's packing heat. But if, if you're a believer, you pack life. So if I go into a restaurant, I'm not packing heat. I'm packing life. If I go on to go to my workplace, I pack life. If I come home, I pack life. So when you leave this morning, just be thinking this. Wherever I go, I pack life. That's my job. I pack life. That's my purpose, to pack life. That's what Jesus did. He brought life wherever he went. Think about his first miracle when he went to the wedding in Cana. He shows up there, and he's there with his mom, the disciples, and they have a problem at the wedding because they've run out of wine. And it's a big deal, very embarrassing for the host and all the rest, and Jesus turns the water into wine. He brought life there in a very practical way to that wedding. Think about the time when he went through Jericho. He's going through Jericho, and there's a man by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. And Blind Bartimaeus is saying, he's blind, have mercy upon me, son of David. Jesus stops and heals Blind Bartimaeus. That's bringing life. He goes down the road. There's a little guy in a tree by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is looking at him, and Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, today I'd like to go to your house for lunch. And Zacchaeus says, who, me? I'm a tax gatherer. I am not, I'm frowned upon in this city. Are you sure you want to go to my house? And I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus says, yeah, I want to go to your house. And Zacchaeus is thrilled, comes down the tree, invites Jesus over to his house, and they have this great meal. Now, how do we know that Jesus brought life to Zacchaeus' place? We know that because the way Zacchaeus' life changed. After having Jesus in his house, after Jesus brought life there, Zacchaeus says, I've got to change some things. Because in the way I was collecting taxes, I was ripping off a lot of people. And after spending some time with you, I'm going to go back and pay all those people back and then some. I'm going to give a lot of my money to the poor. Who benefited from that? Well, Zacchaeus did, but also the whole town benefited. Jericho benefited, and especially by Bartimaeus. He benefited from the life that Jesus brought to Zacchaeus' house. Think about the story. When Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, he goes to the other side, and there's a man who's tormented by demons. Jesus sees him. Today, he would be probably locked up in a hospital somewhere. He was living in a cave, cut himself with stones. He was cutting. And Jesus sees him, has compassion on him, brings life to him, and sets him free. He gets in his right mind, clothed, goes back to his town. Jesus brought life to him, gets back in a boat, comes back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, lands there, steps out of the boat onto the, onto the sandy shore there, and a very well-known leader, he'd be like the mayor of the town, his name was Jairus, runs up to Jesus, nice suit, gets down in the sand, and says, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Would you please come to my house? And Jesus brings life to Jairus' house. And you can imagine him walking down the Sea of Galilee, the disciples all around them, a crowd all around them, because they're just interested in what Jesus is going to do. 
Anywhere Jesus went, He brought life. He fed the 5,000, He brought life. Everywhere He went, He just packed life. So what, what's the best thing I could do as a believer? It's really that simple. Wherever you go, bring life. Just bring life. It's actually harder than it sounds, but that's, the, that's what we do. We, we just bring life. We have to get it from somewhere to give it. You can't export something unless you first downloaded it. So we, we get life from Jesus. We abide in the vine, and that life flows into us. Jesus said, if you believe on me, as the Scripture said, out of your heart, out of your innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Life waters will flow out of you. It'll spill out of you into your community. It'll spill out in your home. It'll spill out wherever you go. This message is very, very simple. If you, if you want a deep message, this isn't the one. If you're looking for a long exegesis of the Scriptures and all the Greek and the Hebrew, you know... Uh, get your iPhone out and go there because <laughs> this is a really simple message. It's just our job is to bring life. Jesus brought life to Jairus. He's walking on his way to his home. A woman reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus said, life left me. Virtue left me. This disciple said, what do you mean? You've been touched by so many people. He said, no, no, somebody touched me with faith. When faith touches Jesus, life flows. And so they stop, and they heal this lady, and then Jesus moves on, goes to Jairus' home, and of course, Jairus' daughter is healed. So those are just a few examples, but if you want to do a study, read through the Gospels and just watch how everywhere He goes, you could boil it down to this, Jesus brings life. I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. So if that's the DNA of Jesus, if His spear is inside of us, doesn't it make sense that wherever we go, we go to give life. What's your assignment? What's your purpose? Somebody said, well, what's your purpose in life? My purpose in life is to bring life. That's it. Everywhere I go, I want to bring life. Ever met somebody and you feel like they just suck the life out of you? <laughs> you've been there, right? You've, you've met somebody, you go walk with them, man, that just drained the life right out of me. I mean, they just wrung it out. There's nothing left in me. That's not who we want to be, right? We want to be the other side of that where after I spent time with them, I just felt like I had a drink of refreshing water. I felt like life was poured into me. That's what we do. Jesus brings life. We should bring life wherever we go. A couple points for you as we go through this. Uh, if we see the nature of Jesus, we want to bring life the same way he did. Folks, there is a generation that's really hungry for this. And they're looking somewhere to find it, life. Remember that song we just sang, Awakening, Holy Spirit, Awaken in Me? There's a generation that needs to be awakened to this kind of life. In the past revivals, when you study Finney, when you study these great revivalists, they often called it the Great Awakening because people woke up and go, oh, that's it. I've been really hungry. That's it. And guess what happened to the bars? The bars shut down. All that other false life pseudo-life shut down. How big is our hunger here? How big is the need for awakening in Vancouver? If you were here on Friday on Georgia Street, you know how big the need is because we had 420. 420 is where everybody gathers in front of the art gallery down the street, and you have a blue haze over the city. <laughs> I was working in the office here, so I walked out on the street, and I go, who's, who's smoking up around me? I couldn't see anybody. Then I looked down Georgia Street and saw the blue cloud. I go, okay, we have 420 happening. 
10,000 people celebrating, quote-unquote, their version of life. Part of me is really grieved. Because to see a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, openly buying drugs from a drug dealer on our street. Remember last week we talked about the Titanic warnings? Warnings for countries, warning for individuals. That just might be a warning that something's wrong. That just might be a warning there's an iceberg ahead of us. Now, we could be proud and say, oh, we're Canadians, nothing's going to happen. Or we could be indifferent and apathetic, or we could be selfish and we won't hear it. But folks, there, there's a sound there. There's a warning. There's a warning of lawlessness. There's a warning that if you have enough people, you have immunity to any kind of law in the city. There's warnings in that. But there's also something else we see in that message. Besides the need of our young people, there's a hunger for life. That's why Jesus said, I'm the new wine. People were drawn to the same things back then that they are drawn to today. They were looking for an escape. They were looking for a false kind of peace. That's what they said about 420. They said, oh, look how peaceful it is. But that's a false peace. It's not a real peace. A real peace comes from knowing the Prince of Peace. When they got baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they went out and they began talking. And the people said, this is in the afternoon. These guys look like they have been drinking. They've been on the new wine. And God says, I have a new wine for you. I have something that's fresh for you. I'll recreate your heart, and I'll put in my peace and my life. What is needed in our country is an awakening, an awakening to the life that Jesus gives us. Amen? Or, or are we so used to it that we don't see it anymore? Are we so, have we, have we had it so long already that we, we don't recognize it anymore? It should compel us to pray. Amen? Something should stir up. Men, there is a need for our city. There is a need for this next generation. So, with that in mind, let's move on to, if we have this nature of Jesus, how can we bring life? We've got to remember to do some things. One, live with a purpose to give life. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Again, if this is Jesus' purpose... Doesn't it make sense that it should be our purpose as the followers of Jesus? If His purpose is to give life, then it should make sense that our purpose is to give life. This is, again, such a real simple message. We could miss it. What's my purpose? Everywhere I go, I give life. That's it. Simple. Number two, that means sacrifice and sharing, so life happens for both people and the mission. 1 John 3.16 is there in your notes. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. To give life means you lose your life. I know it's upside down kingdom, but that's the way it works. If you lose your life, you find life. If you give away your life, you have more life. It doesn't make sense because our world says get all you can and can all you can get. Hang on to everything you can get. But God comes along and says, no, no, give life away and you'll have more life. Lose your life, you'll find your life. Jesus modeled that. He gave his life for people. But he also... Now, you've got to catch his point. He gave his life for the mission. Did he change lives? Absolutely. But that's not all he did. He broke the power of Satan. He destroyed the works of the evil one. Look at 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. He absolutely destroyed the works of the enemy. Did he change people's lives? Absolutely. But he also had a mission. 
In the book, The Life of Manny, Ray East talks about this. a great book that talks about this concept. He said, life is not for wimps, period. Life demands results from leaders in two realms. The life of the people on your team and the life produced when your team achieves its mission well. Your team's mission represents the life of your stakeholders, including your customers, colleagues, bosses, investors, vendors, and community. Keeping your eyes on both realms of life may seem like an obvious priority, but you'd be surprised how many leaders neglect one realm or the other. In order to be a great leader, he's saying, one, you've got to pour your life into the people, but you also have to pour your life into the results or the mission of that thing. So, for example, if I have a company and it's very sales dependent, I could pour all my life, so to speak, into getting results and getting my sales. But if I just poured it into the mission, how many know we'd burn out people? And maybe you work for a company like that. It's all about the mission. It's great to be on a winning team, but if you have, you don't, the people aren't winning, they're not engaged, then you've really lost the people. Or if you just pour into the people, make it such a great company to work for, but you don't get any results, the company's not going to go. So this concept is the life has to be poured into the mission and into the people. This past week, I met with somebody who worked for Van City for a number of years. Van City is known to be the, one of the best companies in Canada to work for over the past number of years. And one of the reasons it's the best company to work for is the way they treat their employees and the way they have a mission. They do both of it, and so people love to work for it. People like to be on a winning team, right? You want to be on a winning team. You don't want to be on a losing team. You want to be on a winning team. But people also want to feel like they're valued and important and that life is poured into them. Jesus modeled that kind of leadership. Luke 12, 15, it's in your notes. He said, beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life, not fake life, real life is not measured by how much we own. If you watch commercials, you would think that real life is by having a certain kind of car, living in a certain place, wearing certain shoes, and we think, oh, man, that person drives that kind of car, so they must have a life, or they live there, they must have a life. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not how you measure real life. Real life is measured, actually, by what you give away. Sounds strange, but that's where real life is measured. The word believe, believer and believing, is used 275 times in the Bible. The word prayer, prayer, pray, 371 times. The word love, loved and loving, 714 times. But the word give, giving, is used 2,162 times. Why is that? Because the book is about giving. Why? Because the author is about giving. The DNA of our God is about giving. And when it comes into our life, it's about giving, giving life. There was a show that was done last year on ABC called The Secret Millionaire. And in that story, there's a guy by the name of James Malinchuk. And James is a millionaire. And what they had to do is they had to be incognito. They had to go underground, so to speak, go into a community, and they were given just a little bit of money, and then they had to find people that were giving life and support them. So he goes to Gary, Indiana, lots of unemployment, lots of people that are on poverty row, and he goes there and he finds this basketball coach by the name of Tony. Tony works with a group called, uh, what was it called? Baylor Youth Foundation. He works there and helps and volunteers there and just is pouring his life into a bunch of young teens, helping them get scholarships to move on. So he goes in there. He's got $50 to live off for a week. Not a lot for a guy who's a millionaire, but he's got to live off $50 a week. And he goes in there and does this work with his community. And of course, there's TV cameras and 
the people that are there, they're told it's a documentary, so they let them come along. But as time goes on, he goes back and he visits his coach, and he presents him with a check for $50,000, and he's giving life to somebody who's giving life. And I want to show you just a clip from that. We'll take a little commercial break here. Here's a little clip from that, and it'll give you an idea of what it's like to give life. So let's watch this. James Malinchek is in the final hours of his experience as the secret millionaire. He has already given a wave to deserving people within the community. Now he's about to surprise more unsuspecting people. I got goosebumps going up my back, and I'm just so thrilled. Uh, I just can't wait to do this next gift. I want to jump. I actually will. <laughs> I feel like a kid in a candy store. I am so jazzed up. I just can't wait for this one. You and I uh, only have known each other for a couple days, and uh, I just, I think you're an amazing human being. You have a lot of trust with these young ladies, and you're a father figure to them. You're a role model. You're a uh, big brother. You're a friend. Yeah. And, and uh, you'll never stop doing this. No, it's just so it's, it's, life. it's who you are. You, you can't stop. And you told me there was a time, and there was a 15-year-old girl that came up to you and said, Coach, I heard that you were going to retire and you, you wanted to be honest and say, yeah, I've been thinking about it. And you said that she started to get a tear in her eye when you, you told her that. <laughs> and that uh, I think the reason <laughs> that you won't retire is because you don't want to see that tear again. And you have given so much of your life and your own money. And from one ball player and friend to another, I'd like to give you this check. You need it, Tony. Under one condition, this is for you. Yes. That's why I wanted to do it in front of. This is Miss Baylor. I know oh, what he'll do, yes. and he'll want to give it back. But no, Tony, this is for you, himself. from one friend who sees that I think you're a special oh. and beautiful person. It'll be an honor. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. You're a true inspiration. Yeah. You don't meet too many people that you realize that are going to be your friend for a life. That goes without saying, man. <laughs> Maybe we go shoot some ball one day together. All show right. me some little leg tricks and show glory. I would be glad to. <laughs> These people, they'll never leave me. I mean, they're always going to be in my heart because how can I be side by side with them and see just what genuine love they have for the community and for the people in the community? And how can I not be changed? That's a great little clip. You know, there's a statement that somebody once said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And uh, that's making a life. This Coach Tony was making a life. This guy comes along, he made a life. That's real life. Real life is giving away what we have, not holding on to it. Jesus brought life. Everywhere he went, he brought life. What's my assignment? Bring life. One of the ways we do that is to empower other people. Jesus was really good at empowering people. 
And that's one of the ways he brought life. He's empowered other people to do it. In Luke chapter 9, he sends his disciples out. It's there in your notes, Luke 9, 1 and 2. One day Jesus called together his 12 apostles, and he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the coming of the kingdom of God to heal the sick. He gave them power and authority. I mean, this isn't just a key. This isn't just a credit card. This isn't just an expense account or a company car or a corner office. He gave them power and authority to heal diseases and to cast out demons. That's a lot of empowerment, a lot of empowerment. He gives this to them, and he sends them out, and he doesn't even go with them. So they go out on this road trip. You've got to remember, these guys are in their early 20s or they're teenagers. They're young, and he sends them out. He empowers them. He says, you guys go. And they're pretty excited. They get out there and they're, they come back. But Luke chapter 9 is kind of like the losing season of the disciples, okay? It's like, you know, and I just had a thought about a team that could have a losing season, but we won't go there. We'll, <laughs> we'll believe for a winning season, amen? So for all you Canuck fans, we, we need to win this one tonight. But anyhow... It was like the disciples had a losing season. They didn't even make it to the playoffs in Luke chapter 9. I mean, it, it, you read the chapter, they had a lot of failures. At the end of the chapter, they're, they're on this way to town, this town, and Jesus had sent them ahead to get a place to stay, and nobody wanted them to stay in their town. So you know what the disciples did? Listen to this. They said, Jesus, do you want us to call fire from heaven? And let's burn up these people. That's really what they said. Literally, you can check it out in Luke chapter 9. Now, Earlier on, there was a need to feed the multitude, and they couldn't believe to multiply the bread and the loaves, but they can get fire to come down from heaven and burn people up. And so Jesus is saying, you guys, listen, and he rebukes him. You don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. I didn't come to wreck lives. I came to give life. That's what I'm about. So he's trying to get this message through to his disciples. So that's the end of Luke chapter 9. Now, if it was you and me, we'd probably send them down to the farm team. We'd say, okay, you guys, go down there, work on your skills. We'll bring you back up when you're ready. But no, not Jesus. Jesus gets some more green disciples, and they all go out. Now, he's got 70 going out. I would have thought, let's, let's start all over. But this is the way he gave life as he empowered other people. A number of weeks ago, I was in a meeting with a couple of senators. One was Senator Yana Martin. She's an amazing Christian leader in our Senate. And if I was really encouraged after the meeting, I came away realizing that we have some really strong believers that are behind the scenes praying and working hard for our country. And the other senator that was there was a guy by the name of Senator David Braley. David Braley owns, as you know, our, our football team here in B.C. He also owns one in Toronto, Toronto Organauts, the first guy to own two football teams in the same country. How cool is that? And uh, he's given away lots of money to McMaster University, to the medical school there. And he, he said, you know, I have more money than any person should probably really have. So he's, he's, he's done well for himself. Then one of the guys there at the table said, how do you deal with your family? How, does, how do you bring your family into the business? And he said, well, uh, that's a good question. He said, the first time I sat down my boys, I, I wanted to get them to learn some skills and some business skills. So I, I gave them each $25,000. And then I was going to review with them a year later. He said, a year later, I brought them all back. And, and they didn't have $25,000 anymore. It was... $25,000 was gone. They had a nice car. They had a nice trip, but the $25,000 was gone. And so he said, and so I decided, and I'm thinking, I think he's going to say I decided. That's it. You guys blew it. You, didn't, you did a lousy job of investing that money, and it's over. But you know what he said? 
He said, I'm going to give you $50,000. I go, what? He gave him $50,000, and they didn't do a good job with $25,000. And then the next year, they did a little bit better. He gave him a banker to work with him and whatnot. He says, this year, I'm going to give you $100,000. And the next year, he gave him half a million dollars. And the next year, he gave him a million dollars. He says, the next year, I gave him $3 million. He says, the first quarter of this year, I'm going to give you a million dollars. And some of you are wishing he was your dad, but anyhow. <laughs> I saw Greg lean over to Dan there. I was thinking, Dan, can you, can you? <laughs> so this was, this was his approach. But you know what? He gave life to those sons. He, he, he was empowering them. It's opposite from the way we think, but it was, he was empowering them. If we want to bring life, we empower other people. Uh, also, we have to have a life that lived, lived in confident humility. If there was one person who demonstrated a confident humility, it was Jesus. Not just humility, but a confident humility. There's a difference. Humility is a filter, really, of raw power. A horse can have raw power, but when it's broken in, it's a confident humility. It's power under harness. And the purpose of humility is to be so comfortable with ourselves that no selfless task is beneath us and would ever pose a threat to our self-image. Why? Why could Jesus wash the disciples' feet? Why could He do this? Because, this is really important, you've got to catch this one, it's because He was in touch with His immeasurable worth. He knew His value. He knew that He was loved of the Father. He knew that He had a purpose, and so no task was beneath Him. He could walk in a confident humility, and that's why He could give away life. But if we're insecure on who we are, it's very difficult to give away life. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. The proper dress for bringing life is humility because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life said this, self-importance, smugness, and stubborn pride destroy fellowship or destroy life faster than anything else. Pride builds walls between people. Humility builds bridges. Humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. I'm just thinking about other people more. How can I pack life? How can I bring life to them? The five, lastly here, we make life happen everywhere, not just in our workplace. The strategy that works at work will also work at home. Look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4 in your notes there. It says, when you do things, what would that include? That would include everything. When you do things, when you serve on a volunteer team, that's a thing. When you go to a coffee shop, that's a thing. When you go home, that's a thing. When you go to work, that when you do things, that's everything, right? When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble. Give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your life, but be interested in the lives of others. How can I give life? How can I live that way? How when I go, how can I bring life? We mentioned a number, but this is a great point. Just be interested in other people. Gordon Pennington was with us a couple months ago, and Gordon is a master at giving life away. And we went to a coffee shop that I've gone to many, many times. Gordon walks in there one time, and he leaves, and he knows everybody's name. Like, I am, I am in the 101 class. Like, I'm in grade 1 as far as giving away life. I think Gordon must be in grade 12 or something. Because we walk into that, into that coffee shop, and, and before we know it, he's got people's names. He's got people coming to church. And when, when I go to a coffee shop, 
I'm embarrassed. Okay, this is total disclosure, but a lot of times I'm going to a coffee shop. Here's how I like my coffee. Thank you very much. I'm waiting for my cream. Are you done with the cream? Okay, I'll go get my cream. And I, and I put my coffee together. And really, it's, I'm just focused on me. I'm focused on getting my coffee, my Americano, and then I'm going to move on with my life. Well, I went with Gordon. It was a learning experience. Gordon is, you know, oh, how are you today? He's interested in that person. He's talking to them. I mean, it wasn't five minutes. It was an hour later. But he, <laughs> he really, he brought life into that coffee shop. And he had them, you know, after my visit to the coffee shop with him, the people in that coffee shop were emailing me. How did that happen? Because he's, oh, Dave's here. He's down the street. He's a pastor. You know, he's a pastor. He can do this. And so now they're emailing me. Life happened. He just brought life into the coffee shop. It was just a coffee shop visit, but he brought life. What if we bring it to our families? What if we bring it everywhere? Yesterday, we had a great men's ministry meeting, and we did a, a little bit different. Instead of having a talk or speaker or video, we did a, a, a panel discussion. And we were talking about how we deal with conflict in our workplace. So, I looked over to Kent. Kent manages Joy Restaurants here in Vancouver, and I looked at him. I said, how do you deal with conflict? He said, well, one of the things that we do, Dave, is we have role play. So if there's a conflict with a customer, maybe they don't like the way they do their steaks, or if there's conflict with an employee, what we do is we role play first. So I'll pretend that I'm the customer, and somebody will be talking to me, addressing it, and then I'm better prepared to go talk to that customer. I said, that's a great idea. He said, that's how we get ready to deal with conflict. And so I said, well, do you do that at your house? And I, I had one of this aha moment, and he had the aha moment at the same time. We both had this aha moment. I know it sounds really simple, but we both realized that why don't we do this in our homes? How many times have we had a conflict in our home with maybe a, each other or with a sibling or with a fellow family member, but Cheryl and I have never said, okay, let's role play this. You pretend you're the person with the conflict. Now let's, let's role play this first. But those same life skills that would work at work will also work at home. The same life skills that work in the family will also work at work wherever you go. So our, the big idea here is wherever you go, you bring life. Yeah. Where do we get it from? We get it from the vine. John chapter 15, verse 5. I've got to wrap this up. 15, verse 5. It's there in your notes. I am the vine. You're the branches. That's pretty clear. Those who live in me, while I live in them, will produce a lot of fruit. Okay, just to make sure I still got you tracking with me, how many here this morning would like to produce a lot of fruit? Okay, I think I got every hand up on that. That's great. We want to produce a lot of fruit. Well, how do we produce a lot of fruit? Fruit comes because there's life in the plant, correct? If, we, if there's no life, there's no fruit, we say the plant is dying. And if there's not life in us, then we're dying. How do we get, keep alive? We have to stay connected to the vine. We're the branches of the vine. We have to stay connected. In medical terms, they have something called FTT, in, especially for children and for older people. FTT, which means failure to thrive. Because a child fails to thrive, and so they say that child, that baby is FTT, or that person who's older, FTT. They've given up on living. They've given up on life. I think some Christians are FTT, failure to thrive. We have to study life. If you see something thriving, find out why it's thriving. Sometimes I'll go to Joe Forte's for lunch, and one of the reasons I like to go there because it's one of the best restaurants to work in in all of British Columbia. And that it's thriving. So, okay, why is it thriving? Why is there life there? Be a student of life. 
Why is life there? What makes it thrive? Let's not live in failure to thrive. Let's live life to thrive. Amen? Because there's a generation that is needing the life that we have in Christ. We were at a conference a number of uh, weeks ago, and the speaker was Paul Scanlon, and he talked about how he bought a new, a new iPad. And he was really excited to get his new iPad, and he wanted to sync it with his Mac laptop. And so he got them together, put a cord between the two, and he went to sync, but the iPad wouldn't sync with the computer. Even though the computer was made by Apple, the cord was made by Apple, the iPad was made by Apple, it wasn't understanding what the computer was saying. And so he says, man, i got a problem. It's not talking to each other. And so what he discovered was that his computer had not downloaded the latest updates. And so this iPad couldn't understand what the computer was saying. Somebody had told him, I said, well, have you installed the latest version? He said, well, I never do that. Because when it says, have you been working on your computer and a little thing comes up, would you like to install the latest version? It has two buttons, install or not now. And he said, I would just keep pressing, not now, not now, not now, not now. And so then when he went to hook up his iPad, it couldn't understand the computer because it had not been updated. Made by the same company. And there's a picture here for us, for the church. We have a next generation. We have a previous generation. Same creator, same God. But this generation has said, not now, not now, not now. Not now. I want to install an updated version. And they said, no, no, I really like my program the way it is. I don't want the latest Word program. I don't want the latest program. I'm very comfortable where I am. I don't want to update. But then we wonder why the next generation doesn't understand us because we haven't hit install. So he said, I got a problem. So he went back to his computer. He said, install, 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 install. He had a lot of installing to do. But then when he hit sync over here, this piece was now understanding what that other generation was saying. And we have a church that needs to start installing instead of saying, not now, I want to stay where I am. I want to stay comfortable where I am so the next generation can have an awakening and be synced up with a living God. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 